Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and welcome back to the Grief Gang podcast with me, your host, Amber Jeffrey. The message behind The Grief Gang is to normalise the topic of conversation that is grief. People living with grief can often feel ashamed, isolated and alone. This podcast was created to break those taboos after I myself experienced all of those feelings after the loss of my mum in 2016. I decided enough was enough and we need to talk about this. You'll hear on this podcast an array of stories and experiences, some being my own and some being fantastic guest episodes and their incredible stories. You'll laugh, you'll cry, but I hope above all, I hope you'll learn. I hope you'll learn that you are not alone in your grief journey, that you have a voice and it should be heard, that you and your grief matter. So without further ado, I'll let you enjoy the episode. Happy listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Grief Gang podcast with me, your host, Amber Jeffrey. Another fantastic guest episode for you. I don't think I've ever churned out this many guest episodes in like one season. It's normally been, I know in the last year or so, you guys just been used to me just sat in my bedroom just waffling. But um, I'm so, so glad that all these fantastic guests are now part of the Grief Gang show and sharing their stories. Um, So without further ado, I would like to introduce Okay, where's our introduce Jess Bacon, um, Instagram blogger, writer. Come on, spill yourself. Spill. Go on, go on, give, 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 give yourself a little high five. I'm a loving this. I'm loving this. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm a multi hyphenate, you know. So we've got Instagram, where I do some social media kind of consultancy as well for like businesses and brands, mm. and then yeah, freelance journalist as well as like podcaster just very creative all round I would say you are you are very creative and and Jess came onto my radio about we've been we've been in talks for a good couple months yeah mostly on my side because my diary is just an absolute shit show and I'm awful (laughs) getting back um but we me and Jess we spoke together and I've been following Jess for a while and um, watching her story and the way you speak about it and it's really touched me and um, elements as well about within your education and going through that of at the time of when you lost your person. And um, so I'm really excited to, to speak with you today and hear your story and to go back to that time in your life and hopefully share some golden nuggets and just hear your story. So obviously we've introduced you, you are Jess and Jess there is obviously a reason as to why you are here in the grief gang. It's not a nice reason as we all know. You should all know by now guys that this is not, a, it's not <laughs> the guests who come on here. They're not on here for nice reasons. Um, so Jess would you mind telling the listeners and the viewers who it is that we are here to talk about today on grief gang? Yeah so I lost my dad Martin when I was 16 um, we were a very, you know, close family. I was very similar to my dad. And yeah, when he was 45, he was, you know, incredibly fit, like training for a half, like sprint triathlons all the time. He was running mm. every single day. He was a head teacher, like he loved what he did. He loved his family, uh, was literally the running joke was, you know, that he was never ill a day in his life. 
And uh, yeah, he was diagnosed with a grade four brain tumor at 45 and then passed away 10 Mm. months later. So it's been a it's been a journey. And I think even those 10 months we had together, uh, you know, a lot of people don't get that. So I'm very grateful for the time that we had once we knew the diagnosis Mm. um, and to say goodbye. But I'm sure, as you well know, there's you know, there's no easy way to say goodbye. And there's so many more things you wish you could say to them. So yeah, we're kind of mm. next week. It will be eight years since he passed away. So it's just mm. been a been a crazy ride, really. Yeah, yeah. And how has it been? So, um, so obviously with it being next week, how are you feeling with it coming up to next week? So for eight years, mm. I always get really funny around the anniversary. I was kind of told, mm. you know, very early on, oh, you'll forget the day. You'll forget the date. Don't worry. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to forget the date. You know, I really don't think I will. Well, literally like, because obviously I was at school. So it was like pupil support staff. And they were yeah. kind of in their 70s at this point and kind of said, oh, you mm. know, I lost my parents kind of like 20 years ago. I don't remember exactly what the day was. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to remember this date. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it just stays with you, doesn't it? Absolutely. And that's, that's really in- that's really interesting that, as you said, like those people who said that to you, they were they were very much older and in their 70s. And so they lost their, their people, you know, 20 odd years ago. It makes you think, is that a generational thing? Mm. Like, And I think it's a thing, like you don't know exactly what to do on anniversaries. Mm. So I think some people do just sweep it under the rug because, yeah. you know, what can you do? But I think it's kind yeah. of, it's just another opportunity to celebrate them and the people you've lost yeah. and the time you had and everything they meant to you. Um, mm. So, yeah, so we're very much like we remember, we go up for dinner, we raise a glass, we go to the grave, we lay flowers, we listen to his favorite songs. Like it's yeah. very much like a little mini kind of celebration of who he yeah. was and what we had. I love that. I love that. And I'm glad that, um, that, you know, you, you, you know, you are feeling a little bit off towards it, that, you know, that day will come and you have, so you, is it quite like, or is it, as you'll see, say you do all those things, but is it quite like rigid? Like you'll do that. Even if you wake up on the day, will you be like, maybe I'm not feeling it. So have you ever had an anniversary? I, I'm, going, I'm going completely off task of like my questions, but because, <laughs> like I told you before, we'll go, we'll go off on anything. Um, but yeah, like do you, and the last eight anniversaries or seven now coming up to eight, mm. um, has there been ones where you, where you would have wanted to have done all those lovely things that you did, but you've just woken up and gone, nah, not today? Yeah, I mean, it's been weird because obviously, so he died on the f- morning of my first GCSE exam, mm-hmm. but obviously that was GCSE. So, and because of how exams fall, it meant that every year for the next four oh. years, I had an exam, I had a deadline at uni, and I handed in my dissertation in my final year on that day. And so it became more like a commemorative, we remember you, I remember my education. And because he was a head teacher, it was very like, it never really crossed my mind that I couldn't go to this exam. And then from then on, it was kind of like he was part of that journey, even when he wasn't. So it was kind of nice. But again, it meant there was always something I had to do on the day. So you, you could, could kind of not just exactly you could kind of fall mm. apart around it. You kind of had to time yeah. it. So it was very, you know, surreal. Um, but I think now I've been out of education kind of two years, three years this summer, it's become more of a okay, so do we go to work? Like do we treat mm. it like a just a day? And then in the evening we we kind of mm. have that chat, like, wow, you know, mm. eight years. Um, so I think it's definitely become reached a point now where I can kind of I can feel everything I want to feel on the day as opposed to kind of suppressing it you know and letting it out at the last minute Mm. after you know whatever I've had to do that day yeah and it must be really yeah like obviously abnormal for you as you said for the first four years you had exams and then in university and you've kind of now at a point where you can have you you've been given the choice to you can fall apart now you can fall apart yeah I fall apart but yeah you can welcome feel like we can imagine and I, I, I want to go back to um the the G's first GCSEs um your exam on the day that your dad passed away but yeah you've woken up every anniversary and gone nope can't <laughs> I ain't got the time today Here we go again we've yeah. got to go to school <laughs> we've got to sit that uni exam we've got to get up and go 
And then now mm. you're at a point where you can actually be like, you can welcome these feelings in without having to put up a barrier up until like six o'clock or like three o'clock yeah. after school. It's like this subnormal. But before mm. we go into that, Jess, um, would you mind going into as little or as much as you like um, of so the story? So you said it was 10 months after diagnosed dad passed away. But on that, on that morning of when dad had passed away and sort of the lead up towards that moment. Mm. So I think it was a very, so I was, I was 15 at the time. My brother was 13. And like I say, we were a very close family. It was very sudden. And it kind of, as I got older it, or kind of as the 10 months moved along, it became apparent that my parents were protecting us, you know, from certain information. So they never used the word terminal. Mm. It was kind of, we hope he'll get better. We don't know how this will go. He's going to have chemo and then radiotherapy and chemo and then radiotherapy. And he had uh, an operation very early on to remove like 90% of the tumor. Um, but they kind of described it like it was a spider's web. So you remove the spider's body, mm-hmm. but all the legs are still going to be there and they're still going to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very, yeah, my dad was a very positive person though. So it was a very like, um, contrasting thing that he would kind of this every time we went to an appointment the tumor would have grown Mm. and you know he would we'd go out for dinner afterwards and he'd pick up like there was it was at Christmas time this this time we went and we'd been told that actually you know the 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 operation the radio the chemo this is probably like three rounds in had done nothing pretty much Mm. and there was like this uh garland on the table around these candles and he like took the candles out and put it on his head and he was like take a picture because it's grown and I was like, only you would be like, do you know what? This is a chance to for a photo op, <laughs> for a laugh, you know? And even, and it was just the whole time was like that. So even as it kind of went on and we kind of got to like March times, he passed away in May, it was kind of February, March. And he did at his school, they had an annual five mile run and mm. he dragged his brother along and was like, do you know what? We're going to do it. So he had like wow. stage four cancer and he's just going on this five mile run you know, for a school, for a charity. And then we found out kind of two weeks later that the tumor had fallen from his head down his spine, which was incredibly rare. And they'd only had kind of a couple of cases before at Addenbrooke's, which is a hospital in Cambridge that he was kind of treated at. Um, And again, that was a a running joke, you know, that he was always one of a kind. So of course he would get the rare Mm. one. And so it was, there was always, it was very kind of, it wasn't lighthearted, but he definitely, we were kind of the family that found the fun in everything yeah. and tried to find that, you know, lighter tone that he'd always had with everything. Uh, even kind of with cancer, he was determined, you know, that there would be a funny side, there would be a joke in it. He would get a great mm. photo with it, you know. Um, <laughs> and I think the best way I can describe that is probably it was kind of his third or fourth round of chemo. And you know, they're all sitting in the chairs and I was sat opposite him where he was having this chemo. We were just sat there waiting for, you know, it to be done. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was, you know, very distressed other patients and families around us. And my dad's still kind of like just, you know, bobbing along, like mm-hmm. smiling away at me, chatting away. And he turned to the woman next to him and he just said, oh, um, you know, it's, it's, just, it's a real shame we're here, but it's nice we've got comfy chairs, isn't it? And I was like that pretty much sums you up and I was like dad just don't like she's clearly very upset just you know tell me tell me yeah I'm glad you're comfy I know I'm like oh my god but she's like are you checking me I know I was like this is not a silver lining situation I was like you can tell me no one else brilliant but yeah but that was his attitude you know there was always a good side to it someone was always worse off than he was Mm. um so I think they knew where it was going but I think we were also kind of in denial in a way that it was going to be terminal and it was only when we got to kind of yeah March April time the tumor had fallen down his spine and we had a Macmillan nurse come around and she said okay look you need to sort out your wills and you need to make sure that you've got like a hospice lined up or like an end of life care plan and that was a point where we all went oh okay you know this is this is happening real yeah um and literally we were very lucky it was all very odd as well we kind of went so we literally have a hospice down the road from us which is like a really old like stately home you would never know it's a hospice mm. uh we went to look round on like the saturday or sunday um and i never really understood i couldn't get my head around why people wanted to go to a hospice i didn't really get mm. why you'd want to die somewhere you've only been once yeah. and you didn't want to be at home mm. um and again i was very young so i kind of thought it would be very like 
sterile and like clinical mm. and kind of scary yeah. but it wasn't at all yeah. like it was just wonderful so we kind of mm. we went there on the Saturday or Sunday and then by Monday I went to school and I kind of felt very weird because obviously he had a brain tumor and at this point it was kind of leaning on different parts of his brain so he never forgot who he was or who we were but he'd have these kind of hallucinations mm. and so he kind of thought he was already dead so he'd be like oh, oh are we in heaven are you an angel? And we were like, oh no, that's really nice you think that. Like, thanks so much. That's so flattering. But no, we're all still here. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was kind of like, and I'd have that kind of surreal experience over the weekend and then going to school and you sat in a canteen listening to your friends talk yeah. about like 16 year old problems. And it was all very weird. Mm -hmm. But then that was the day I was in a class and I kind of thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I didn't have to because they basically came in and said, he's going to a hospice now. You're going to go there now and you're going to revise wow. your exams there and that's it. You're done with school. I was like, okay, cool, let's go. Such a crazy transition for you at 16. Mad, like mad. Mm. And it's one of those things you just have to roll with mm. because no one tells you how to do it. So, and mm. in the moment, it's very instinctive. Mm. You just feel like, okay, this is what we do. Yeah. Whereas you don't really think about it until after and you think, oh, like how, like how do we get there? Mm. Or like how did, how did you just go along with it? Mm. But yeah, so it was a very like surreal experience. And then I was kind of revising in the hospice, like as and when. Mm. Um, and I was lucky in a way because it was modular exams back then. So I'd kind of done, you know, two thirds of everything I needed yeah. to do. So it didn't weigh as heavily on that. But it was also, it was just like a very odd thing because I didn't feel like I could give up exams. Mm. Um, and I don't remember even having a conversation about whether I would go or not. It was just like a, I would go and then come back it to was the hospice. A, yeah, and, it wasn't a yeah, question. Yeah, exactly. It was just like we figure it out when it happened um yeah so then and then it was literally you know he kind of deteriorated he was literally going in to have a medication tweak mm. and he'd been there about a week and then they said mm, you know he needs to stay here now I think I think this might be the time and he literally deteriorated over the second you know week maybe third week into a little bit mm. um and then that was it and he you know one of the last conversations we had in and out because at the end he was kind of in and out of a coma and he kind of said to me I'd been to like a drama exam and it was like a, just like a practical thing. And we'd done our show and it was nice and all of that. And I came back and he said, oh, I timed it perfectly, didn't I? Because you've just finished your exams. And I was like, yeah, you, you have. Like you've timed that perfectly. And I just didn't have the heart to say like, no, this was yeah. just like a, you know, just laugh about. Band. We start yeah, on Monday. we just had a bit of fun. Yeah. So he's in his head, he's thinking, do not go until Jess is, Jess has done yeah. her exams until she's done it. Yeah. So it was just, and obviously he was a teacher. Like he wanted, he knew, he felt like that was really important. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he wanted to be supportive in that. And he felt like that was how he could do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was just very, it was a very surreal time. And it feels even weirder to look back on it now, I guess, mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Because you feel so distant to it, but so close as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And so... And so then, okay, so you've, you sat the drama exam now. Bless him, he thinks he thinks he's held out until... <laughs> I could imagine you being like... Yeah, you're just like, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I've finished the role. I've yeah. not, not even really started. I've actually not even started. Yeah. And what's quite poignant with that then is that him passing on the f morning of your first... Mm -hmm that's very poignant I believe so so can you take me back to to that morning of that so mm. were you at the hospice before before the exam yeah so yeah. I kind of stayed and again it's very weird things like my granddad had only died before this so that was my only experience mm -hmm. of kind of death and loss um but I I knew I just had feelings about things I really wanted. So I really wanted yeah. to be there with him when he went mm. and I didn't want to miss it. And I really wanted to read at the funeral. Um, and I didn't have any, you know, there was, there was no point of reference, but it was just something I felt I really wanted. Yeah. Um, so I basically, and my mom and my brother, we stayed probably for the last week, we stayed at the hospice as well. So we were kind of on the sofas or like they brought mm. out mattresses of like empty beds and we'd sleep like on the bed next to him on the floor. Yeah. And so on the night he passed, well, like the day he passed, we, yeah, me and my mom had stayed. Um, and we were both kind of, my mom was with him the whole time and I was kind of sleeping on and off on the floor because she was like, you know, you've got an exam tomorrow, like try and yeah. get an hour or two sleep. I was like, okay. 
And then, uh, yeah, like my mom was with him and then she just kind of said like, it's now, it's going to happen now. Oh and I was like, oh, and mm-hmm. obviously you're not really asleep. You're not really awake. You don't mm-hmm. really know what's going on. Um, so I just kind of grabbed his hand, like held his hand and he went and we had mm-hmm. music playing on the background that had been on loop, like different CDs that he loved and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to my mom, like, did I make it? Like, was oh. did I make it in time? Because yeah. I just didn't know. You're so like in and out of, and your dreams at that point are so vivid that you don't yeah. know if you've, you know, if it's already happened or mm-hmm. what. Um, but yeah, and like it was uh, peaceful and also grotesque because mm-hmm. I think, you know, end of life is, it's not like it is in film and TV, you know, mm-hmm. nothing like it. So Absolutely not. it kind of stays with you for a while. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, so that kind of all happened, you know, the nurse came in and like, we, we still speak to all the nurses and things like that from the hospice, which is lovely. Wow. And they all, uh, they all remember it so vividly, like the music playing, we all being there. And yeah, it was just like a really special I like heartbreaking moment all in one. Yeah. Um, and the saddest part, I think, was that we could hear the buzzer going and that was mm. my brother arriving with my uncle. Oh. So it was just like they just missed it. But mm. again, you know, as I always say, he only had two hands, you know, and we each mm. had a hand, you yeah. know, there was, you know, we were with him. So that was what was most important mm. it, for us, I think, that he wasn't alone. Um, and my brother was so much younger, so we kind of made him look you know, like he was sleeping and everything yeah. by the time he came in. And that was just, you know, a much sweeter, I think, moment for him as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we went into the hospice lounge. We had a cup of tea with the nurses mm-hmm. and we all just kind of sat there like, right. Wow. You know, yeah. that was a, and that was like five in the morning. So we kind of sat there until half seven ish. Um, and, you know, we phoned all the family and all that kind of thing. And then, we kind of had this moment where I was like, mom, we're going to have to go home now. I'm yeah. going to have to go and get dressed and we're going to, you know, I, we're going to have to go. Yeah. Um, and I, I would still probably say the hardest moment of the whole experience was being stood in the room and knowing that's the last time you're going to see him and yeah. leaving. That was yeah. the the point that even now I'm like, oh, that was you know I probably would have stayed there forever if I had a choice but um it was just one of those things I think that was the the point we were like okay this is the end you know this is goodbye yeah and so I think for me even things like the funeral and stuff like it was it was real at that point that was the point where you know we, we stepped off a cliff and it was life without dad now yeah um yeah so then literally came home put on my uniform I remember vividly just laying on my floor crying thinking oh my god how like how has this happened yeah what's gonna happen now um yeah and just kind of like autopilot like going and my head teacher was there and he like gave me a hug Mm. and he'd work with my dad because obviously he was also a teacher my my dad had taught at the school that I went to yeah so he knew my dad so he gave me a hug and he was so sorry um, you know, we were, I was just with my pupil support officer and she was like, you're going to have to sit this exam with everyone because it was wow. like a French, like listening or something. So I had to go in and be in the class with them all. Mm. And I was like, Oh God, like, yeah. this is what's going to, did you, did you go me. in sort of like, so yeah, you, you knew you had your exam that morning. Mm. Did you go in sort of like, I kind of hope school will go nah you're okay you don't have to do it today I just or was it don't just even know drummed into you just like I've just you know you went home you got your uniform on mm. you were going to school mm. um did it ever cross your mind and think that oh you know I actually hope that school actually kind of let me off this time mm. um or you were you fully like yeah th- I've had to do this it was just like I don't know if I even thought about it I think I must have done um because it was just I think that conversation with dad like he was and you know we'd had conversations before that where he was literally like you know I've spent my whole life getting other people through their GCSEs like other other people's kids Mm -hmm. through their GCSEs their school life you know making sure they had an education um and now I can't do it for you and for me that was always such a you know well this is what he really wanted for me um Mm -hmm. and I didn't 
I didn't think it was an option. I don't think to not mm. go. Um, I knew that wouldn't be what he wanted or my mum wanted. And I didn't even think about like what the repercussions would be or how that would yeah. look. And I'd just resit or like take another time. Um, but it was kind of like, just go and make a whack of it was kind of mm. like, you know, where I was at. And I think that was the weirdest part because you kind of had to pretend that everything was fine. Mm. So I, I remember I said to the people support officer, who was just a wonderful woman, I was like, let's just go at the last moment, hand in my phone and I'll just walk in and let's yeah. just do it like that and then I'll be fine. Mm. And obviously everyone, because it was again, mm. this listening exam, so everyone is in the corridor, everyone is chatting. Oh, hi Jess, like, how are you doing? Oh. How's it going? Because again, like I'd spoken to my close friends and said, you know, it could be any day now and they'd all mm. come to the hospice and seen him, which was lovely. Um, but I hadn't, I'd kind of gone radio silent and, you know, not said anything mm. more. So I just had to put on a face and just be like, yeah, you know, it's fine. Yeah. Everything's great. Let's go in. Let's just do mm. this. You know, let's just crack on. Mm. Um, and I remember there was a point halfway through the exam where one of my friends kind of turned around to look at me and pulled a face because this exam was just awful and we were yeah. rubbish at French. <laughs> and so she pulled a face at me and I kind of was like, oh my God. And yeah. then, um, and I kind of in that, I remember thinking in that moment, I was like, oh, everything's fine. Yeah. Like everything's fine. And it only hits you after where you think, oh shit, everything is not fine. Mm. Like everything is not fine. Like even though those little moments make you feel so normal and feel so yeah. familiar, everything was not fine. Yeah. Like your friend is looking at you, like if you want to have anything, you'd be like, bloody hell, this is a load of rubbish, this. Yeah. And then you're kind of giving the same response back, like, oh yeah. Mm. But then you're in your head, you're like, you have no idea my dad just died yeah. this morning yeah and in that split second I kind of forgotten yeah. I was kind of like I'm just a kid like I'm just a kid we're in an exam you I'm know just a kid doing my French exam exactly and this is hilarious and I don't know what I'm doing yeah <laughs> and then that kind of went again and I think for me it was just the point where I felt like I was a kid before dad died mm. or like before he was diagnosed I was kind of a kid but I was always very mature so mm. I was kind of a, you know grown-up kid and mm. I always thought I knew everything but obviously I didn't <laughs> and then the point he died it was like I just didn't I didn't know how to socialize I didn't know how to be a kid I didn't know how to be young because I just felt like I was so old because I had this life experience that made me that aged me yeah and made me just feel really deep and dark and yeah. different you know <laughs> and it's it so just, hard at 16 yeah. at 16 to feel that weight and to feel that shift within yourself of you know that you're like yeah I'm not that even though you, you say you're, mm. you're mature to know that yeah this has now revealed a part of me on a new chapter of my life that mm. I know is going to set me aside from my peers now yeah and for the for, for the rest of my foreseeable I've as you said I've now experienced something that, you know sort of at 16 you do associate you kind of do associate death when you like as you said um the, the support people saying oh you know no, I'm 17 I lost my mm -hmm. people you don't think you're gonna lose a parent or a key person in your life at that stage in your life you just think that happens mm -hmm. to older people yeah and then and then so after that so you sat the exam when did you tell like your friends did you come out after and go I, I can imagine I can of it and them coming up being like oh that was hard and you're like yeah my dad died like, <laughs> like yeah oh. you think it was hard yeah yeah it, well it was like it was the so the weirdest day of my whole life because mm. not only I had one exam I had another exam in the oh. afternoon you said that was cruel wasn't it but the way they would make us go yep. back to back exams mm -hmm. like you have one in the yep. morning like crack of dawn and then one <laughs> before end of the day like you're joking me I'm frazzled like I'm actually frazzled <laughs> literally <laughs> literally so yeah, yeah it was one of those days and yeah so I and we kind of I'd spoken to like people support officer and she was kind of like look you can tell them when you want to, but maybe just tell them, you know, after you've done this afternoon's exam. So then you've done both your exams. You mm. can t take a moment to breathe and tell them because mm. they're going to be just as upset as for you as you yeah. are. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is true. And I didn't really know how it was going to go. And I felt really awkward about it because mm. it's, it's quite a big thing to say, isn't it? Mm, yeah. And you don't really know, you know. Yeah. So um, I kind of, I went home and the funeral director was there and it was all like, we're going to pick out a picture for like the order of service and we're going to pick a date and we're trying to get hold of the vicar. And I was like, what a strange what? day. What a strange. Yeah. I was like, 
okay. Yeah, you come um, home for a bit of respite. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, you're like, who's this guy? Like, I know. <laughs> and literally, I was like, I'm the person, like, the keeper of all the family photos. Yeah. So it was up to me to find the perfect photo for dad. Mm. And I was like, yeah, sure. But I'm kind of looking through all these photos. And because it was so soon after, you can't mm. quite your head can't get around it like that yeah. he's gone and he's not there and we're not going back to the hospice and um my brother literally baked cakes and went back to the hospice and was like oh. thank you so much because I think we all just didn't know what, what to do, do. So, yeah. yeah we kind of moved into the hospice at this point and then just moved yeah. back out again right, like see yeah. you later you know what happens <laughs> Thanks now for yeah I know <laughs> cheers you were amazing we love you but we're leaving like, I'll review you <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like what it was so weird like it was it was just so surreal oh, so yeah so like and family friends came around and everyone was crying yeah. and it was just it was a lot and then you know I put on my blazer again my auntie was like right I'll take you back to school yeah, like, oh. I was like okay <laughs> so then I sat another paper but this was a written exam I could sit by myself so I was just mm. in you know just by myself in this random room in my school which was very old so it was very kind of like sweet and private and lovely yeah. to be in this kind of room by myself um and again it was so it was a religious studies paper which is what my dad taught mm. so I was kind of like you wow. know very connected kind of mm. moment as well it wasn't the so there was two papers and it I can't remember what the one I sat was but it wasn't the death and afterlife paper oh thank and god thank I god I was so grateful <laughs> I was just like can you imagine like I can deal with coincidences and I can can you know mm. sometimes it's funny but I was like that is even too much that's, for me that's cruel that's cruel yeah exactly so I was you know that was the only blessing I guess of that mm. day um but yeah so then you know sat that exam and I think I remember feeling like halfway through when I was just kind of writing or trying to figure out what I was meant to write down you know like wow like he's he's gone you know Mm. this is this is real now and but you don't even again that was like the first day of the rest of those anniversaries where I didn't really have a moment to think about it yeah it was just like here we go this is a thing we do we're gonna do it mm. um yeah so then it was only when I got home and I kind of I got in the car and I remember being just about to say to my auntie oh we're going back to the hospice like who's with dad if you're here yeah and then I was like oh, oh my yes God. okay mm. so this is this is it now um yeah and that was the point where you know that was just life yeah that realization I can imagine I can imagine how your brain has gone there because that Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. such a mm. long day a long day you've been up since mm. what crack of dawn about five and then I I feel you know them days where you're like oh did that happen today like, that happened yeah. today yeah and you just yeah your 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 routine and your lifestyle was after school we go to mm-hmm. dad we go to the hospice and we look after him and, and we do what we do there and then you you come back into the same familiarity of getting picked up and going you're like oh but if you're and it's that surrealness mm-hmm. that will knock the socks off of you and the wind out of you. And you'll go, yeah. oh. and she said, no, this is life now. We don't mm. go to the hospice anymore. We just go home now. Yeah. And then, and after that, Jess, so what, what was life like after? So you've now, so you've now you're sitting, then you've got to sit in the rest mm. of your GCSEs. You've now told your friends. You already now sort of feel this shift within yourself of that, I'm now feeling and going through things that my said peers are not. 
I know this is going to change me. I think mm. to have that awareness too at such a young age too of knowing that this is now, because um, I know a lot of, I, especially I was kind of a bit like, yeah, this has happened to me, but it's not really going to change me. Like mm. I still, I'm still Amber and it got to a point where I was like, I'm still, oh, I, I still battle with it sometimes even now. I think I'm still Amber, but there's, there's old and new parts of me still now mm. I see old parts of myself but um that took me years to to kind of acknowledge and respect that um but yeah. I think for you to have I think that goes um credit for you you know you seeing that you're so mature at your young age as well to to notice that shift in yourself already so then what did you like your late teens and then you're coming, yeah, and going into your higher education. So you went to university um, and how much education was such a key part in your and your dad's life as well. Um, mm. Going through that, do you feel like your dad's profession and his love for education was a real spur for you? Yeah. And I feel like we were we were very similar in that way um, that I kind of I always wanted to talk to him about what I was doing at school or what I was learning, mm. mostly about how, you know, my teachers would be like, she can only get a B or something. And I'd be like, how does he think I can only get a B? I could do whatever <laughs> I want. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just like, you know what? If you try, you can do anything. Why are we putting mm-hmm. ceilings on it? So it was very much like a, a very big conversation about everything I was studying and I was just really passionate about learning and literature and like exploring different ideas and learning about the world and how people thought about it. Um, Yeah. And he was very similar in that way. And I think Mm -hmm. that did drive, you know, so much of my going to the exams and even having an education Mm -hmm. that was very much in the forefront of my mind. And I think because we'd had those conversations, you know, I was a very creative person even then and I was very drawn to kind of drama school and that yeah. kind of path. And I remember my dad being like, you know, do that after, like go do an English degree mm-hmm. because you don't know if you want to be an actor, you just know mm-hmm. you love being, you know, in that kind of environment and that kind yeah. of creative space, go do English and then decide after, because then you've got that as like your backup. Safety net. Yeah. Yeah. And I was and that's, like, that's okay. the dad in him kicking in. That's the dad. Exactly. In him that's going. the parent. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there was always like an underlying wish, you know, that I'd be a teacher. My mum's also a teacher, oh, which yeah. I am not going to be a teacher. I do not. <laughs> I'm not cut out for it at all. But um, I think that was always like an underlying thing. And I think, you know, the way he thought about how every child deserved a right to a good education and, mm. you know, it would help them. Uh, you know in later life which obviously it does you know if you have access to education you get better yeah. access to jobs um, and all of these kind of things that make your life kind of more comfortable so mm-hmm. he was very passionate about that and I think he instilled that in me you know that this was just something you know you needed to do if to just kind of have for later on in life for yeah. the options that I might want might not want um, mm-hmm. but I think that was something because we were kind of connected in that I kind of didn't really question my path because again he wasn't there so I felt like it wasn't his you know dying wish or like last legacy but I did feel like you know what this is what he wanted and again you're young you don't really know what you want to do so I kind of went with it um I was very lucky though because obviously my so my sixth form my a level uh so my a levels and sixth form and everything was at the same school Mm. so I didn't have to change I knew everyone and that was both a blessing and a curse Um, because I felt like, so we basically had about six to eight weeks, maybe even longer, nine weeks or something since exams finished Mm. to then going back to school for year 12. Mm. And I basically, I'd struggled on and off with kind of these feelings of feeling very down and feeling very low and desperate. Um, and it kind of, it really kicked in over the summer and it it was like glorious weather Mm. and I just stay indoors in my dad's Mm. hoodie, um, and some leggings and, I just eat and this was there was loads of other things that kind of built into this but that was where you know binge eating came from you know when he got diagnosed because it was things like people would bring cake and I'd always call it pity cake which is not Mm. it's out of such a good place (laughs) but it's I'd always call it pity cake because they kind of come and say I'm so sorry for your loss or I'm so sorry I was diagnosed to begin with and then you think oh yeah like I'm so sorry like it's so sad I'm mm. gonna eat this cake yeah. you know yeah and that I became like this. exactly yeah. it is sad you're right mm. and it was just like that kind of thing so I got myself in this cycle where I would just kind of stay at home stay hidden and eat and not really process things and not really know how to talk about it and I'd go mm. out and see my family and that was easier because we all 
like my cousins and things because I felt like we all understood we all knew what this meant Yeah. yeah and I saw my friends and they were very good at like pestering me to come round and they'd come round and that kind of thing but I really struggled to keep in touch with people and you know not cancel last minute and that kind of thing just because I would build it up so much in my head about what it was going to be like and what they were going to think of me and what I was going to say and I think that you know as soon as I hit year 12 because I'd had that summer of those kind of that loss and that kind of confusion Mm. about where I was and what who I was and everything I kind of went back to school and I didn't I kind of just shut down Mm. and you know one of my friends I remember at the time was like yeah it's like trying to draw blood from a stone when I talk to you because you're just not giving me anything she's like I know you're not okay Mm. but you're not saying anything you're pushing me Mm. away and that was what I did essentially for two years at sixth form I just didn't We'd be sat, you know, in the canteen. Someone would be having a panini, be having like a pasta pot. Mm. And I'd feel awful. And I feel like I was just like drowning or like screaming and no one could hear me or see me, Mm. you know? And I was just there, but I wasn't at all. And people would be like, how are you? And I'd be like, fine. Because I was like, I don't don't have the words. I didn't have the language. I didn't know how I felt, you know, and I didn't know at the time I was depressed. I just knew I couldn't get out of bed sometimes. And, you know, I'd argue with my mom because I couldn't get out of bed and go to school. And my mom uh, lost her dad very young as well. So she was very much like, you know, we keep going. She went back to work. um, And, you know, she was just is an absolute trooper and just, you know, kept going for all of us to kind of keep us all together and everything and I just couldn't do it and my brother did as well like he was he was you know he would cry now and again it would just be the most soul-crushing thing in the world but he could get up and go to school and see his friends and talk Mm -hmm. and not he didn't need to mention it whereas I just felt like you know we'd had this whole experience we'd had this year that changed everything we knew and everything we were and who you know everything I thought was true about life Mm. and now you just want me to go back to normal Mm. Yeah. I was just like I don't I couldn't wrap my head around it at all and I didn't think I'd ever be happy again or anything and I think part of me kind of thought I died with him yeah. but you know that was just that part of whoever I was and I was very like happy you know fun be- person before that yeah. and I felt like that person had died and it was almost like and again my dad was so positive and it almost felt like an insult to be a misery because he was so bright and you know bubbly and fun and I was like that but I didn't know how to be that without him without him yeah yeah so it was such a weird experience and I think definitely having you know education to go to helped so kind of you work through a-levels and then it was kind of the next thing was uni and you get through first year and there's always kind of deadlines there's always things to like occupy your mind and uni was Mm. a great I felt like new start I guess as well because I felt like I was the girl whose dad died Mm-hmm. and you know was a misery and all of this kind of thing and ironically I wasn't even the only person in my year to have people who'd lost parents you know and yeah. some of them had lost them younger some of them had lost them exactly the same age as me um but I just felt like I was I felt like everyone could see it yeah and no one said anything mm-hmm. and I didn't say anything and that made it really difficult to kind of work through those barriers that I'd mm-hmm. intentionally put up because I didn't know what to say yeah um yeah, so uni was like a new chapter where no one knew who I was before. Mm. So it wasn't a chance to reinvent myself, but it was a chance to change how I did things. Yeah, it was It was a chance to, I totally, totally resonate with this. It was a chance to kind of, you know, finally walk around your day-to-day about the big bloody sticker on your head of, my dad yep. died, my mum yep. died. You can, and I felt like that year with my, with. I moved jobs in, in between my mum died. I left one job and moved to another. And I realised mm. at the moment, I was like, I can actually be selective of who I can tell. My mum died. Mm-hmm. They People don't just know because of word of mouth. Yeah. Um, and I found that really, I found that really almost like empowering in a way because I could just be Amber. I could just mm. be Amber for the day. Um, I wasn't getting special treatment, which mm-hmm. probably you might, might have felt through school as well. So maybe that maybe eased off a little bit and didn't put too much on you. Um, mm. And I thought I can just be. So yeah, I totally, totally get that going to university. And as you say, being amongst other people who weren't just, um, you weren't the only who had lost somebody. Um, kind of thought, oh, okay. Yeah, this is, this is new. 
I'm not alone. Mm. And I can I can be selective. And I think in a little bit, yeah, like kind of reinvent yourself. Reinvent your mm. you can also like reinvent your intro. You can be like, mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Jess and I'm I'm studying XYZ. And it's not Hi, I'm Jess, and I know you know that my dad died. Exactly. Exactly <laughs> yeah. that. And it is that thing where you can tell who you want to tell. And I completely agree, like it's so empowering because you don't feel like everyone's looking at you like is she not okay because her dad died? And you're like, no, I'm not okay because, you know, I did the normal thing of like stub my toe and then I got yeah. here two minutes late and I'm having a bad day. It's not, you know, you don't need to rush to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was very like freeing, I guess, as well. Mm. And I didn't have to, you know, and in sixth form, everyone obviously was kind of turning 18 and wanted to go out and I didn't. Mm. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't quite bring myself and it was so many things because I gained weight and I didn't know how to deal with that because, mm. again, you know, people are so mean at school, aren't they? Oh, so it was just yeah. like another thing, you know, where mm. you feel like you've kind of done something wrong for just existing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I kind of got to uni and I kind of just kind of owned who I was. And I think that was the difference. Um, and that helped me a lot because then I, when I wanted to tell people, I would tell them. And I would do it quickly and then move on because yeah. I just thought, you know what? You need to know for context and that's it. Yeah, yeah that is it's so yeah. Sometimes you're like, there's times, <laughs> there is times, yeah, I'm like that. And I'm like, I'm going to tell them something and then I'll be like, oh, I've got to tell my mum. <laughs> I'm like, I just go, I go, I'll start going and I'll be like, oh, okay. in a nutshell, yeah, my mum died mm-hmm. five years ago um, and that's why I'm here and doing this. Mm-hmm. So it, it always sort of been people are like, oh, what do you do in your spare time type thing, especially when you start a new job. And I'll oh, go, gosh. oh, I go, oh, I run a podcast. And he that always sounds go, great. Yeah. I go, What's that about? I go, and then I go, oh, okay. <laughs> basically, and then I go into it and they're like, oh, and then sometimes we just smooth over it. But you do, you kind of mm-hmm. realize actually sometimes how much of your grief and your loss is so current in your life and how much it 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 goes through everything you realize I actually do have to tell a lot of people in in scenarios that you didn't think you would have had to before you you, you don't see how they would like correlate but you think actually Mm -hmm. I do have to I do have to sometimes actually tell a lot of people that my person died for for things to make sense to them or yeah to the to the context and you're like oh shit yeah you gotta like kind of get 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 your pitch ready of like that's what I'm gonna go basically she died (laughs) yeah literally you have to though and it because it happens so much and I think especially at school like it was kind of that unsaid thing that everyone knew like you say Mm. your old job like everyone knew you know they know no one needs to Mm. say anything but it just really is kind of uncomfortable at the same time whereas you have the new thing of you have to tell people and see their face when you tell them. And obviously if you haven't been through it, you know, you just, you don't know how to react. And Mm. it's one of those things that, you know, you don't expect still young people to have lost parents or Mm. to have lost siblings, you know, or to have lost children, whatever it might be, friends. Yeah. And you just don't expect it. So I think when you come out with it, you have to wait, their reaction and just kind mm-hmm. of like you say just keep going yeah just like we're yeah. gonna keep going because you know what it's just part of who we are yeah and we're still here and we're still doing other things they're just still part of the the narrative yeah yeah it's so true yeah sort of just we do just I find I just say it and I I almost don't leave any room for the 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 pity face or even the mm-hmm. the pity comment I just go, yep, yeah, that happened, and this is, I'm okay, um, and just go along, and so yeah. like you, you kind of see their face, like, oh, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> they, their the face is so going, true. Yeah. It's like the shock to like, yeah. oh, we're, but we're okay. okay. Yeah, but, but you're good. Yeah. But you're good, and you're like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Don't worry, like I'm okay. <laughs> I'm and, gonna uh, cry yeah. every time, you know. Yeah, like, don't it. worry. Yeah. yeah, trust me. Like, we're okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, very funny. Very. Oh god, I'm trying to. Th- I can't think the last time I've, I've spoke to somebody and actually, well, yeah, with my work, and that was, I just came in. I just went, yeah, my mum died, and this is yeah. me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is literally me now. I've just got to the point where I'm like, do you know what? It will probably make you uncomfortable for one second, but yeah, the rest of us are living with it. And we've, you know, got comfortable with it somehow. It's like tagging along our little yeah, grief. So, yeah. you know what? You're going to have to just deal with it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and just I wanted to ask you, so obviously with eight years coming up, mm-hmm. there's, and, and my, mine's coming up to five. And I find along the way, you kind of personally like, 
doing things to remember them like you said for in the beginning you would do all things you know dinner or you still do dinner plays music stuff like that bar from that on sort of like not like a day-to-day whatever if you do things day-to-day or on the days that aren't significant like anniversaries birthdays holidays what do you do to remember dad anything big or small what do you do to feel close to your dad Mm. so it's it's really interesting because I do we have this thing where I look a lot like my mom my brother looks you know uncanny resemblance to my dad but I am so much more like my dad in you know everything he was and my brother is so much like my mom so they're like two peas in a pod and some Mm. of the things they say or they like or they do and I'm like that's so like both of you like I'm, yeah, I like can that. hear yeah. dad you know in what I say to them mm. um and I, that's kind of weird because I do feel like a kinship with him but he's not here mm. so it's like how you live with you know and without kind of fabricating what he might tell you or like the advice he might give mm. you it's kind of like how do you live you know knowing what he would probably say or what he would probably think and that being similar mm. and to begin with, that was a really difficult thing because I was kind of, and it would be anything. I'd be in a classroom and be like, oh, you know, he'd find that hilarious. Or like he used to work with this woman and she's like ruining this class. Like yeah. he would find that so funny. Yeah. But, um, you know, and it would just be random things. But I think the thing that's always been has been music. So ever since he died, we have a we have a very strong belief, you know, which is very weird. Like you always, it's always something weird, isn't it? That you just kind yeah. of take on. But me, my mum, my brother, and kind of my my aunties and uncles as well, it's just been music, you know. Yeah. And the first time we went out for dinner, we were in like a pub, you know, after he died. And me, my mum and brother sat there and his favourite song came on, oh. which is Viva La Vida by Coldplay. And oh. I'm like, oh. this a great song. But oh, it came wow, out yeah. such a long time ago. And it's mm. not like a really big song but yeah or it'll be like other songs that he loved or we have videos to him dancing and singing about with and they'll come on and it'll be like I remember being at York when I was at uni and I'd had a bad day and I would go in a shop and like one of his favorite songs would play and I was like well you're here I I feel you like Mm -hmm. I get you with me and I'm not alone but it does you know it's not helping me but it Mm -hmm. does it has become like a comfort thing that wherever we go we hear it and we'll be on holiday and Viva La Vida will come on. Oh, and we'll wow. be like, oh, hi, thanks for joining, <laughs> you know. Dad. And it's just it's just become like a weird ongoing thing that usually when we're having a bad day or we're getting, you know, a bit aggy with each other or something. Yeah. Um, or maybe I haven't spoken to my mum in a few days when I was at uni or something and I was just feeling really low or lonely and it would just come on. i just walk into a shop and it'd be on. Yeah. Um, you know, go onto campus. So it's kind of become like, that's become more like an anthem you know yeah. that if you if you miss dad it's probably you'll find him again in music yeah but i think it's just you know and i think like with anniversaries and i'm kind of writing about this at the moment with like visiting graves mm. like you feel very obliged early on to you know go to the grave and lay yeah. flowers at the grave and you know find them in one place and mm. show respect in one place but i just find that it's in everything and anything yeah. and it's so unpredictable in that way and it's definitely like music or like clothes or something will just get you and remind you of him Mm. um yeah and I just think a lot of who I am or like how we would think about things would just be very similar um and every time I come to a crossroad and I think okay what do I do now in my life like when I left uni even when I was at jobs I didn't enjoy and I'm like okay well what do I do now and it was kind Mm. of I can have those conversations with my mom and the rest of my family which you know I'm very fortunate to be able to do but I was like, oh, you know, his advice would be great right mm-hmm. now. I'm like, dad would know exactly dad. what to say. And I'm yeah. like, and that's the kind of thing, like with those kind of decisions, we would sit and we would talk and we would talk and we would talk. Mm. Um, and yeah, there's just kind of a silence that you kind of have to become accustomed to. Yeah. I love what you just said there, Jess, of if we miss dad, we'll find him in music. Mm. there's something really beautiful that is true I, I really resonate with that I you know so, <laughs> I find that sometimes on the really bad as you said then as well but if you 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 mum and um brother aren't getting on and just having a bit of gripes yeah having a bad day I find it all the time I'll go in my car and then 
like her songs will come on and I'll literally go, you're fucking with me. Like you're fucking with me today. Like you're really, (laughs) literally, you're doing it with me today. And it will just, it's just them. I feel just pulling us back, back down again and going, I'm here. I'm always here. And I really love that as well. What you say about with graves, I I felt that too, feel obligation Mm. to, Oh my God. I remember the first couple of years I would visit that grave and, relentlessly relentlessly mm-hmm. and I would always and it's not it's not a nice trip is it it's very no. emotionally laboring that putting that's probably the most surreal moment for me when I and I'm ever, ever mm-hmm. do anything for my mum is I go and I look at that gravestone and I look oh my god that's my mum's name mm-hmm. my mum is my mum is in this ground what the fuck I'm getting mm-hmm. flowers and put them on my mum and I actually think within this last year where I haven't been able to go to the grave, I've been forced to find her in other things, mm. in other daily things. So yeah, music for me is very big too. I love that. Um, you said very much that you and your dad were like, and you felt like a kinship. Um, I mm. want to ask you, what is, what is a favourite characteristic of your dad? And one that you think that you've adapted and taken as well? I think he was just like a very silly person for someone Mm. to have like an important job you know when you're a head teacher and everyone was kind of like come to your parents evening you had to be like respectable and like yeah you know pretend like you were an adult (laughs) he was just not like he was just the life and soul of everything he would be the first person you know to be we were at a wedding and my mom's friend I remember being like eight or nine and my dad was like you know what let's round up the kids let's go play hide and seek I was like, yeah, why not? I played hide and seek. And my dad, this was before the ceremony, my dad climbed up to a tree, obviously to hide because he wanted to win. And um, he, as he climbed down because he was found, he ripped his shirt all the way open. <laughs> so he was literally stood at my mum's friend's wedding with this gaping hole in his shirt because he just wanted to entertain the kids. Want to get in there. Yeah, he was just like, that. I want to play. I want to, I mean... And so that was literally my whole life. Everything was an Mm. adventure, you know, everything was gonna, we were gonna make the most of it. It was gonna be the most fun. We'd go on long like bike rides and then we'd have like massive like chocolate sundaes at like the pub or, Mm. you know, everything was a chance to have an amazing time and everything was an opportunity Mm. to just, you know, live live life to the full. And I think that was my dad to a T, like everything was amazing, you know, that nothing was ever just okay. Like he wanted to, Mm. every, there was richness in everything. And, you know, even things like he'd get home from work and sometimes that would be super late at like half nine, 10 o'clock at night. And he'd come and stand over me and be like, are you awake? And I'd be like, well, I am now, dad, because you're literally hovering over me, you know? And then he'd be like, okay, great. Like, let's go have dinner together. And I'm like, I had dinner like four hours ago, but I'll come sit with you while you eat. And so like, I just sit with him, you know? And that was, that was his time to like, again, just bring so much joy at a time where you kind of didn't even need to be awake at this point. He could have just had his dinner and gone to bed, but everything was an opportunity to like, just have a bit of fun, have a laugh. And so I think it was just like his energy for everything and like life that I miss because again, like like I said, I felt like in such a deep depression afterwards mm. that it was like I'd lost him. Yeah. I'd lost like his energy in this like bundle of joy and madness really. Mm. Um, and I always felt like I was that as well. So when I lost it, I had this whole like, you know, I feel like I am fun and I, mm. I am an extrovert and I do want to go and, you know, do all these fun and crazy things and have adventures. But I'm also super anxious now. And I, yeah. I you know, I have, I feel really down and I, I, I don't want to smile and I don't want to have yeah. fun. Um, so I think that, that bore like such a big conflict that I was like, I was like him and now I'm not. Mm. Um, but I, I know I am. And I'm just very appreciative, you know, that there's light and shade now and that, you know, he lost his dad when he was like 42 so he lived his whole life with his parents you know and had his own kids and they've been grandparents so it was a completely different circumstance Mm. so I kind of think you know I think he'd still 
you know, be proud that I try to be, you know, happy and fun and positive yeah. and find adventures and everything. Um, but I think completely understandable, you know, that not every day is a bundle of joy because yeah. of, you know, the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really good as well that you can you can make the comparison there of that you, you see very much similarities and that you're both positive and upbeat, but you can understand and you can look at your dad and be like, you can always sort of go, you know, he was upbeat and as you said, he lived his whole life with his parents, didn't really experience yeah. other didn't experience hardship as I'm sure we all have, but you can look and be like, Okay, you lost um he lost his dad at forty two and you lost yours at sixteen. You mm. can compare that. Yes, I'm going to live a happy life, but dad, I did <laughs> you did die on me at sixteen. So exactly. things might be a little bit more difficult to sometimes find that light. But For I think sure. you've done a wonderful job of doing so. Um, and lastly, Jess, I want to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests. And it's going to take you back to that young 16-year-old Jess. And I really want you to envision her in mm. that morning, putting on that blazer and going back into school. So if you could go back and tell your younger, bereaved self some helpful and honest advice, what would it be? I mean, this is so, it's so tough, isn't it? Mm. Oh, and I think, you know, it would probably be as simple as just tell someone, mm. like just tell one person how you feel and, you know, write it down or, you know, send it in an email, like whatever it needs to be, get it out. Yeah. Because I think I thought that no one would listen because I thought it's going to take too long to say it. And saying you know I feel sad didn't cover it but I didn't feel like I had an option you know it wasn't like you could just go into school and sit in a canteen and say it I didn't feel like I could Mm. but I would definitely go back and say no try like if it doesn't work like that then tell you know tell someone on their own like just but just don't be afraid to be emotional about it or show something other than you know I'm fine I'm good like just be honest about it mm. because I think I would have saved myself so much time, um, you know, especially being so self-critical about how I was reacting because I always felt like I wasn't doing well, like yeah. I should have done better. Um, so I would say don't don't beat yourself up about it and then also just tell someone exactly how you feel, even if it makes absolutely no sense when it comes out of your mouth yeah. and you contradict yourself the whole time, just tell someone um, because there were people there and they would have listened if I give them a chance, you know, and I, I could have probably got something out that resembled how I felt, you know, a lot sooner than I did if yeah. I just really pushed myself to do it. Mm-hmm. As it says, isn't it? A problem shared is a problem halved. Absolutely. And it's only until that problem becomes so large that people are kind of forced to come in that you realise yeah, I should have maybe offloaded this on myself a long time ago. Absolutely. And you realise that there are people who do have your back and are your home team and will support you, that they might not have the answers of you could, you know, gobbledygook out. And they might turn around and they say, I don't have the answers, but I'm glad you've you've shared that with me and you don't have to carry that feeling all on your own. Mm. Well, Jess, thank you so much. That was absolutely fantastic. I absolutely love listening to about your dad um please tell the listeners and the viewers where they can find you yeah so I'm over at Jess K Bacon on Instagram and Twitter and then my website is jessicakatie.com uh where I blog you know about everything the highs and lows of life Mm. as kind of a young person um, but specifically talk about you know mental health in particular and your podcast how about your podcast, oh, podcast yeah. <laughs> I also I also have a podcast yes yeah, so I have a podcast the, I love how you remember and I'm like yeah. do I yeah Yola. I'm like oh yeah yeah so I have a podcast called the guide to life after university to help graduates navigate the uncertainty of life after your degree like entering adult life as well amazing Jess thank you so much grief gang thank you so much for listening and um, if you like what you hear as well obviously you know the whole rate review subscribe all that malarkey and please do check out Jess and show us some love take care grief gang bye well that's it for this week's episode I hope you all enjoyed it and it set your week off to a great start 
whether you've laughed a little, cried a little, I mean, I think crying is good for the soul, or you've resonated with something that was said, thank you for listening and spending time out of your day to do so. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and subscribe. In doing so, you're ensuring that lots more people get to find the Grief Gang podcast and hopefully help them too. If you're not already, check out the Grief Gang on social media platforms such as Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. I'm most active on the Instagram page where I love, love, love to connect with you all. For now, take care and big, big love. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.